Hi, I'm Meredith Roden, and I'm the host of the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. This week, we're talking about an old favorite in DuPont Circle, Sign of the Whale, closed down before the school year started, but I'm here with culture editor Sydney Lee to talk about what's happening with it now. So for those who don't know what Sign of the Whale is, who are too young or, you know, maybe just don't remember, uh, what was Sign of the Whale? Yeah, so Sign of the Whale was a hotspot for college kids, especially here at GW, and it was a very dive bar setting, sticky floors, casual setting where people could just go and grab a drink late at night. And pretty, like, cheap beer and stuff like that. Yeah, I believe so. Now they're coming under new management, um, but they're keeping the same name. So tell us, what is kind of the future envisioned for Sign of the Whale now? Yeah, so the owners of the bar Nero actually bought Sign of the Whale once it closed down last summer. And they've been renovating it for months now, and they're going to turn it into more of like an upscale environment. Um, So still casual downstairs, but the upstairs is completely redone with like a cocktail bar lounge kind of vibe. Is it still trying to target college students? Not as much. I think it's targeting a little bit of a more professional audience because they're going to be serving new things like a mixture of Southern comfort and Japanese cuisine in kind of a tapas form. And then they're going to be serving some cocktails and a very wide selection of sake. So how do they come up with those menu offerings? The general manager told me that in order to compete with some of the other restaurants around that serve sakes, they really wanted to focus in on that and just offer the widest variety of different types of sakes and other um, Japanese kind of alcohols and liquors. Um, So they just really honed in on that idea and I think they're really going for it. And do you know anything about prices? Is it still going to be accessible to college students? Yeah, the manager told me she definitely wants to keep it accessible. She said all the tapas dishes are going to be $9 or under. And then they're going to have happy hours with cocktails and food on the menu. So it's definitely going to still have accessible prices for everyone. And she even said she wants to have a college night for students to really bring back that nostalgia of what Sign of the Mail once was. Can you tell me a little bit more about kind of the vibe and the decor? Yeah, so she said that they're keeping some of the original things from the old sign, like the big glass panel with the logo etched in when you first walk in, but they're completely redoing it and adding cool things like antique lights from actual ships to go along with the sea theme of the restaurant. So it will be completely unrecognizable to someone who's been there before, probably. I think that certain aspects will still be recognizable, but for the most part, it's going to be very fresh, very new, and not like the sticky floors that people might be used to. Well, there's still Mad Hatter right across the street if you want some of that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Sydney. Thank you. This week, Jared Gans is here to talk with us about all things academics. And Jared, it's been six months since the new dean of the Mount Vernon campus took her role. Um... Can you tell us what she's been up to? Right. Elizabeth Chaco was selected as the inaugural vice provost for the Mount Vernon Academic Experience six months ago. So can you tell me a little bit more about what that job entails? Right. So Chaco is responsible for all major events going on on the Vern, for Im- holding social events for people on the Vern, as well as attracting people from all across campus to come to the Vern. She's also in charge of academic programs, such as the University Writing Program and the Women's Leadership Program. What are the main things that she's been up to? One of the main goals Chaco said she had 
upon taking this position was to improve the community at the burn and she wanted to do this by holding social events she said that she has held events like a Diwali party in the fall as well as invited new guest speakers in a variety of areas of students interest as a way to attract more students from the Foggy Bottom campus and to have students who do live on the Vern more engaged with their neighbors. Well it's only been six months but have you spoken to anyone who said that that's working and they're feeling a better sense of community? Gordon Mantler, who is the executive director of the University of Writing program, said that although Chaco has only been in this position for six months, the impact has already been felt from the faculty perspective. He said that Chaco has added an increased sense of fun and community on this campus, and that he might have formed the bonds that he has with his faculty regardless of Chaco's efforts, but he said that she has definitely been a help in making him feel closer to his colleagues. What about the academic side of the Vern? Chaco has looked to take a very active role in the Vern's five living and learning communities, which are groups of students who live and learn together about a specific area of interest, such as sustainability. She said that she meets with students in these communities on a regular basis and has even formed an advisory committee formed of students in, this, in these groups as a way to try to improve the programs moving forward. And have faculty found that that's been pretty effective so far, or what are they still looking to improve? Philip Troutman, who is the Director of Writing in the Disciplines and an Assistant Professor of Writing, said that Chaco has had a physical presence on the Vern since becoming Associate Provost, and that she has helped to develop both cross-generational and cross-disciplinary development for students and faculty for them to learn about different things both inside their area of interest and to expose them to new opportunities. So on the more administrative side, I know that your team of reporters is looking into debt payments at the university. The university has, what is it now, $1.7 billion in, in it's debt? Actually, right? it's almost $2 billion in debt. It's $1.9 billion. $1.9 billion. So, so it's a lot of debt. Why was this something that sparked your interest in the first place? Right. So five years ago, the Finance Committee of the Faculty Senate released a report saying that they were concerned that the rising amount of debt the university was taking on was going to come at some significant costs, including new faculty hires as well as providing scholarships to students. What's changed in those five years? In those five years, one, the debt has only increased. It was about $1.6 billion in 2015, but now it's $1.9 billion. And also, um, University President Thomas LeBlanc is undergoing this uh, new strategic plan, which will cut enrollment by 20% over the next five years, as well as increase the number of STEM majors at this university, which will cost university roughly $64 million, according to uh, LeBlanc's projections. So they're not slowing down on the A, spending money, and B, potentially losing more money. Correct. Since that report came out five years ago, the situation financially has only, I don't, I don't want to say worse because obviously the credit agencies are still <laughs> rating the university pretty highly, but has concern from faculty still stayed at that same level? 
Donald Parsons, who is a professor of economics and a member of the Fiscal Planning and Budgeting Committee of the Faculty Senate, said he is concerned with how the university plans to cover its debt while this plan is still being developed. It's not exactly clear about how much money this plan will cost. Um, President LeBlanc has used that number 64 million um, total, but that is not necessarily um, an exact science. There are different enrollment models of how much money the university could lose. And Parsons is worried that it could come at further damage if uh, officials are not thinking clearly and thoroughly about what to do next. And this has come up as an issue at the Faculty Senate. Are Is the Faculty Senate taking any action on specifically the debt payments and expressing concern about that? They haven't taken a direct stance on the debt itself, but they have demanded more involvement in the planning process and also more transparency from officials about what the cost of this whole plan will be. How is the administration justifying this or explaining their thoughts? Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer Mark Diaz maintained that any costs of this new strategic plan will not have any significant effects on the university's debt or the university's ability to provide the services that it always does. He said that the 20% enrollment decrease as well as the increase in STEM majors will not have any change to the level of debt. He added that the debt that the university has has not affected the number of faculty hires or the number of construction projects on the university. Uh, right, because they've done a lot of construction projects like the Thurston Hall renovation and stuff like right. that. Right, and the uh, recent upgrades to Anniversary Park. And... So the administration wasn't really concerned about things like ratings from credit agencies? The most recent um, rating from... Moody's Investor Service in 2018 listed the university as a stable partner um, for taking loans and said that the university has about a 10% operating cash flow margin um, in order to be able to pay back its creditors. Um, but Anthony Yezer, who is also a member of the committee, uh, the fiscal committee of the faculty senate, said that if the university does not make the right choices, then the service might lower GW's rating in coming years to not be considered a stable partner and a reliable source that can pay back its loans to its creditors. Thanks for the update on debt, Jared. Um, and thank you for talking academics this week. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by Meredith Roten and Futures Culture Editor Sydney Lee. This podcast is produced by host Meredith Roten. Music is produced by Oak Studio. And a special thanks this week to Jared Gans for joining us.